So I want you to imagine a family with young children is enjoying centre parks. Uh, centre parks is basically like a holiday camp in the woods. And there is a particularly exciting swimming pool with lots of flumes and wave machines and jacuzzis. Um, and it's a, a fascinating world, both for adults and kids. And so this young family, who will remain nameless, uh, enjoyed their time in the swimming pool. And then we came out um, and were getting their clothes from the locker to get dressed and, and, and exit the um, sort of uh, swimming complex. And as they were doing this, as the parents were occupying themselves with getting their clothes out of the uh, lockers, um, they looked down... And the middle child, who again will remain nameless, um, disappeared. The younger one was where we put him. And the older one was where we put her. But the middle one had vanished off the face of the earth. Now, um, we're not easily anxious parents, but one when, when one absolutely vanishes in a very public space, all sorts of thoughts rush through your mind. I wonder what thoughts would immediately occur to you. So um, immediately I started legging it round the swimming complex. I did quite a few circuits and it's quite a big place and in my mind was how on earth um, I was going to deal with the situation. Um, Should I be looking for sort of blurry objects on the bottom of the pool or should I look in like the highest flumes where this kid had obviously decided to go up to the highest one and hurt himself down and as it was emerging I couldn't see him and um, whether he drowned or not other thoughts of what happens if someone's taken him and he was there and now he wasn't and what had happened, and so I was starting to think about how I would orchestrate the closure of Centre Park so that no one could come in or out. And so I was um, sort of crossed between uh, a lifeguard and some sort of uh, uh, FBI, let's shut this place down and uh, make sure no one gets in or out. And um, it, there was that obvious feeling of, I wanted to, um, he'd either damaged himself or someone had from outside had done harm to him. However, I came back um, to meet with where Sam and the, the uh, our two other children, and um, the odds are, you're like, oh, perhaps two out of three isn't bad, you know, perhaps you could do that. No, <laughs> we didn't think that. And um, so as I came back, I'm like, what on earth are we going to do now? Like, so I ran outside, the, uh, ran outside the swimming area, ran around uh, the inside, not seeing him. Anyway, like, so I've, it must have, so 10 minutes has passed, okay? So we are ranking up the anxiety here. And the bottom locker opens up from uh, uh, where we'd, be, where we'd uh, put our clothes. Bottom locker opens up. And out he pops, very cheerful. He'd been hiding in that locker and had ignored all the shouts of his name for 10 minutes and then thought now was a great time to reappear. And um, so that was, a, that was a beautiful moment. There's that sense of uh, reunification and the sense of wait till we get a you home, buddy. <laughs> Isn't it true... A good parent tries to protect children from 
negative outside influences. You look to protect them from forces coming inwards. But you also look to protect them from their own poor choices. Um, even earlier this, this morning, jo- uh, one of our, the, the smallest one was running along the, one of the benches. And then as I told him not to, he promptly fell off and uh, uh, hurt himself and then blamed it, was, blamed it on me. <laughs> we want to protect them from outside evil and really bad decisions. And that's what a good parent does. It looks to protect. And with this in mind, let's read 1 Peter 1 verse 5. It says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 5. You who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have looked at a few verses now in 1 Peter, and we've looked at him uh, talking about being an apostle. We have looked at the Trinity and the ins and outs of that. We have looked at the mechanics of salvation and the importance of calling Jesus Kairos, Lord, and and how that was uh, significant in the first century and, and how it should be significant for us today. Peter has more words of affirmation and encouragement for his readers now. He wants them to be even more blessed. Doesn't that sound nice? Isn't that a good thing to enjoy? And so Peter, the apostle, this one of Jesus' closest friends, wants to heap blessing upon blessing on the people that read his letter. And he tells them, and he tells us, that as we trust in Jesus, um, the fullness of God's power is at work in us, doing that job of a good parent, doing that job of protecting, defending, looking out for. And Peter doesn't just use the language of a parent in centre parks who neglects their children. Peter uses a lot stronger language. And um, I want us to sort of pick up on that this morning. Okay, so Peter uses a, uh, a particular word, um, which I'm not even going to bore you with what it is technically, but it uh, essentially conveys the sense of a, a military guard or a fortress. We are talking sort of strong, mighty language of the military. So I don't know whether you've encountered um, a... When a good parent tries to protect their children, there will be all sorts of different things used. We will use 
bribes and we will use crosswords. We will use a child's harness if that's necessary. We'll have stair gates. There'll be all sorts of different techniques that a good parent will use to try and protect a child. And Peter sort of ups the ante here and uses even firmer words to describe the language as language for what God has for us. He evokes thoughts of soldiers, of high walls, and of weaponry. Suddenly, we are thinking uh, uh, a lot stronger than just uh, a parent wagging their finger and and threats of time out. Um, Some of you have been enjoying the uh, the picture. Uh, Does anyone know where this is? It is France. Very good. So this is. So if you've ever been to Cornwall, if you've ever been near Penzance, there's St Michael's Mount. Okay, and uh, me and my family have walked across it in low tide, and then essentially kind of stumbled, swam, and got wet on the way back. St Michael's Mount near Penzance is um, a memory or a, a, of a sort of a British. Um, uh, copy of this. This is St Michael's Mount in Normandy. Uh, it was uh, sort of established by a hermit and then they built kind of uh, this abbey on top and then these various houses on the outside and then you've got this great big wall uh, uh, around it. There was a uh, there is what's known as the Hundred Year War with uh, between sort of France and the English, and uh, there was a tiny, tiny garrison stationed here. And the English failed to take this for over 30 years. The English were kind of camped outside and kept trying to go against it. They brought their cannons to bear and everything else. And it was populated by Francois and his wife, And uh, they just held the English army at bay for many, many years. And this place has never been conquered. As we try and work on our trust in Jesus, as we try and sort of believe in him on sort of Monday morning and Friday evening when uh, perhaps we're we're feeling slightly less um, spiritual, we can grow Fearful, we can grow worried about our faith not being enough. We can remember our past sins and worry how they affect our salvation. We can have a sort of doubt in our mind. The children are going through Noah's Ark in Sunday school, and it is difficult to reconcile the account of Noah's Ark with a lot of what science tells us about the history of the world. And so it can cause us to have second thoughts about this faith that we have. And then we can worry about the future and what that holds, and if it doesn't turn out. And we can grow fearful that perhaps our faith is not enough. But Peter uses the language of fortresses and military guards. He uses the language of St. Michael's Mount in Normandy that has never been defeated. And he says, 
regardless of whether your faith looks really big or really small, the thing that secures you, the thing that tethers you to Christ, is God's power. And it is at work in you through your faith, no matter how big or small you feel it, to protect you from invasion and to protect you, um, and who knows, sometimes we're own, we are our own worst enemies, to protect your faith from yourself. I wonder if you remember what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Have a look at Luke chapter 11 with me. It says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose that one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. And so then Jesus says this, which is a great um, motivation to pray. And perhaps even pray things about job interviews that I'm not even sure are scriptural, but obviously are wonderfully and powerfully answered. And he says this in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, not, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, seek, who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to one who knocks, the door will be opened. And Jesus gives us these great promises of prayer in the wake of this illustration of how to pray. Jesus doesn't say, you can ask to win the lottery and God will reply in affirmation. He says, you know, pray this prayer of, you know, holy be God, you know, forgive me and um, sort of keep me from temptation. And he has these great promises of when you do this, when you keep in step with Jesus, there'll be this wonderful, open-handed answer of yes. And in particular, I wonder if you notice that Jesus teaches that we are to pray to be delivered from temptation and uh, to be delivered from the evil one. Um, I think it's the message, the translation that says, uh, deliver us from ourselves. But Jesus very deliberately in this model prayer tells us to pray, save us from temptation and save us from the devil. Save us from an internal attack and save us from an external attack. And there is this open-handed promise of Jesus that the Father will respond willingly 
and abundantly. If you pray this, you will find temptation is throttled. The Holy Spirit will come in to make that temptation less appealing and draw you back from the brink. And then at the same time, as well as that internal attack being protected against, there is the evil that comes from outside. That evil that seeks to take away and make your life poorer. And Jesus says, if you pray this, God will answer. And there is this promise of internal and external attacks will be protected by God's power. And this works in perfect unison with what Peter says about God's protection. So as we think of faith, as we think of our walk with Jesus, I want you to imagine that you are sat in the middle of that abbey and St Michael's Mount. That has never given in, never been conquered, never been vanquished. And that is your place um, in Christ. And it should be reassuring as you encounter all sorts of difficulties in life. Now, the next point doesn't quite come across clearly in your NIV. You have lots of different English translations for the uh, original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, and this one comes from the English Standard Version, which I really like. Um, but it's slightly less popular than the NIV, so we don't use it on a regular occasion. So if you could read this out with me, it says this. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Excellent. Do you notice the word necessary there? I was very struck with that. The apostle says that some trials in life are necessary. They are mandatory. They are vital. We live in a fallen and sinful world. You may have noticed that. And Peter is saying that there are difficult moments and even difficult seasons where hardships are God's most merciful and best way forward. His wisdom can be hidden. His purposes may not be clear. It may be distressing, but it is all part of God's plan and it is necessary. Now, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that trouble and trial is necessary. We all want to hear that God has just got blessings for us and that if we just listen to him, life will just be a giant marshmallow of joy and sugary goodness. But that isn't what Peter says. He says some trials are a necessity. Evil isn't God's general will. For his children. God doesn't want you to endure all sorts of wickedness. But we need to hear 
that God is sovereign over everything and that he seems to use it for his good purposes. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. says this in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Um, my passage is titled, Abraham Tested. says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Everyone say tested. Tested. Excellent. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said to him, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes my son, Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. A very famous passage for sort of uh, Jews and, and, and Christians. And it whispers, doesn't it, of what Jesus Um, what would happen with God the Father and Jesus, this sacrifice of the Son. But we have here a moment where Abraham is explicitly tested by God. And so the question here is, does Abraham have that speck of faith that God's power can work through? so that he is even prepared to kill his son Isaac, this child that God has put all these promises in place with, to the point at which Isaac will be resurrected if he is murdered. Does Abraham have that speck of faith to do that? And the answer, thankfully, is yes, he does. You know, he trusts God so much that... Um, he will do what God says. And um, wonderfully, Isaac is uh, liberated. Both Peter and Moses, who gives us this account of Abraham, wants us to realise that some life events are not just misfortune to be rescued from, but they are actually necessary tests in our lives that doesn't mean everything in your life is a test but it does mean sometimes you are faced with trials that God has got for you (laughs) 
it seems that the way God works is that he deliberately designs tests. And I want you to hear that these tests aren't designed for you to fail. They aren't designed and engineered so you will fall flat on your face. The tests God has for you are ones that you are supposed to triumph in. He will give you tests where suddenly you can rise to the occasion. Turn with me. Um, Perhaps some of you are thinking of this passage already. Turn with me to James chapter 1. says this in James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let your perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must, be, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Um, they are double-minded. And then it goes on, and there's this distinction, careful distinction, that we should listen out for. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift from his above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that way we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. James, this brother of Jesus, makes a distinction between temptation and trials. Trials bring growth, Temptation brings sin. If you've got a problem with alcohol, hanging out in off-license is is not a great place to be. Hanging out in pubs is not a great place to be. Let me just say that hanging out in betting shops is not always the nice is the uh, is not always a great place to start browsing porn on the internet or nurturing anger these behavioral traits are setting ourselves up for temptation we are not noble survivors of god's trials when we hang out in off licenses hang out in betting shops browse the internet for porn and um sort of cultivate moodiness and anger in our hearts these are temptations that we are wandering into and making ourselves vulnerable to the uh, outcome of those is likely to be sin and death that's 
their natural outworking. And you hear it from Christians who make unwise choices and then say, oh, this is a trial from God, it is nothing of the sort. You have wandered into temptation and you are being stupid. But there are trials that we have not made ourselves um, vulnerable to sin through. If we are, if we exhibit our faith in a wise way and we are ridiculed for it, that is a legitimate trial that God can use for our growth. If we are hurt by sickness, and it's not that we just drunk shed loads of booze the night before or uh, just ate really thing, the stuff that's really bad for us, but if we, are, um, if we are wise with our health and fall sick, that can be a trial that God can use. If we are devastated by unexpected poverty, and it's not because we've spent all our money in the off-licence and the betting shop, that can be a trial, a necessary trial that God can use. If we are betrayed by loved ones and we haven't just let rip with some sort of verbal double-edged sword, then that can be a trial for us to overcome. There is a difference between a temptation and a trial. A temptation is one that we have wandered into idiotically. A trial is something that God has put there as a necessity to cause us to persevere and grow. Sometimes Christian conquest looks like forgiveness and health. Sometimes people will come up here and God has delivered them from all sorts of situations, and we can rejoice with them. But sometimes that is not true. Sometimes we are obliged to deal with ongoing sickness, ongoing separation, and ongoing brokenness. This is not because we are sinful, but because it's part of God's necessary trials for our life to bring growth. It is a distinction there that we need to be alert to. And when we are going through a trial that we haven't kind of brought on ourselves, in those times, we can trust in God's purpose. He is sovereign and Lord of it. We need to just appreciate the necessity of faith. You know, you sort of, I don't know why I'm going through this. I didn't ask for it. I don't think I've earned it from anything I've done. And we just develop that prayerful patience. Because that is a beautiful thing when you encounter it in different people. And, and we know lots of people in this place that have gone through all sorts of trials that seem to last for years and you can ask them about their faith and there is a reality to it because it is mature and it has been tested by time. The person who has been given everything they've ever wanted always has a lot shower, um, shallower and immature faith. 
because they haven't had to stand those times of testing. So God's power works through our faith and trials can sometimes be a necessity. I wonder if you've ever wondered why gold is precious. It's not the rarest element on the planet and it's a really soft metal. These, uh, there are things about it that would cause someone that was going to develop a currency to say, you know, we're just not going to use gold. We're not going to make that a valuable commodity. Let us choose something else. But the thing is, gold is precious, and it is precious for a very specific range of qualities. This may sound stupid, but gold is good as a valuable thing because it is yellow because it is attractive you can see it and um, it it is something that that people uh, desire but it also doesn't corrode it can be purified easily it has a fairly low melting point so you can get rid of impurities very quickly I've been to Tutankhamun's tomb in the Valley of the Kings I have seen the uh, artefacts that Tutankhamun was buried with. And there is gold there. And they are resplendent to look at. And do you know what? These things are 3,000 years old. And yet, they are still golden and attractive. Because gold doesn't corrode. Gold doesn't rot My first cars that I um, drove as a kid just rotted away. That Vauxhall Astra that I loved so much, just the uh, chassis just kind of fell apart as the the steel oxidised and rotted and rusted and um, it had to be uh, dumped. But gold keeps its nature. Gold does not deteriorate like that. In verse 7 of the uh, passage we looked at, Peter says that trials are to our faith like fire is to gold. He says, you know that um, heat brought to bear on gold will decontaminate it from stuff that has attached itself to it. It will purify it. It will bring it clean through. And Peter is saying that the same thing occurs when we endure trials. When trials come, our faith is purified. All the stuff that sort of complicates and contaminates our faith gets burnt up. And it is purified. And if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you will hopefully know that process where you think you trust God, some hardship comes, and then you realise what trusting God is actually about. 
It is no longer a lecture that you've just taken notes about, but it is an experience that you can say firsthand something about. Peter says that gold will ultimately perish. Gold will ultimately fall to the wayside when Christ comes again, but the faith will endure. I wonder if you've ever encountered a beachcomber or a metal detectorist. They are patiently searching for stuff in the ground that is um, worthwhile finding. They're looking for precious metals and coins and treasure. When they find gold... It is something to get very excited about. It is what they have spent uh, hours and months and years devoting themselves to. And suddenly a glee and an enthusiasm and a smile will break over their face. This is what they were looking for all that time. They went through wind and rain. They went through all sorts of hardships so that they could find this treasure they now hold in their hand. Peter tells us that when our Heavenly Father encounters our precious and proved faith, God will be like a metal detectorist. He will be like a beachcomber. He will too be excited. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 25. This is the uh, last passage we're going to read today. says this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went on at once and put his money to work and gained Five more bags. So also the one who was given two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You can hear the pleasure in his voice, I hope. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Doesn't that sound like a glowing report? Don't you hear that and go, I'd quite like to be received like that. And then it goes on, the man with two bags of gold also came, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, see, I've gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Again, there's a celebration and, uh, and applause. 
Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered, so I was afraid, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more and, the, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus tells this parable to inspire those that listen to him to nurture and look after and multiply what God has given us, what gifts we have received. And this morning, I uh, lift up to you the gift of faith that anyone who has confessed Christ has got. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, that is a gift of faith that you have received. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? If we despise a love of Christ then things do not look good. But if we cling to our faith, if we make it an important thing, if we say when a job interview comes up, I would really rather not uh, work on the day that I get to meet with the church, I think God honours that. And what is the response We get these accolades. We get this master saying, well done. Come and share in my happiness. God will look back over our lives, over the priorities we have set. He has seen that when we feel miserable, we still make it out to church. When we have little, we still are generous when we seem to have little hope and there seems little prospect of an answer, we still pray. When we are down, we encourage others. When we orientate our life towards this faith, we multiply it. That is what pure, refined, gold standard faith looks like. And Peter tells us it will get recognition it will get applause and honor and praise it will get the heavenly father at the end of things smiling upon you and saying come in and share my happiness please bow your heads and i'll close in prayer heavenly father we thank you again for these words of peter we thank you that you protect us in our faith. Lord God, we understand and recognise that while temptation um, you protect us from, trials can be a necessity. Lord God, I pray that you would help us grow and mature and persevere in these. Lord, help our faith be refined by them. 
Lord God, we long at the end of things to be greeted by our smiling Heavenly Father and for you to welcome us in with come and share my happiness. Lord God, what an incredible uh, entry into your presence that will be. Lord God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.